0: welcome to another episode of the usa volleyball show as you guys already know steven is still up on for leaf learning how to be a new father diving into those lovely diaper exchanges and experiences there too but we would like to welcome this episode's guest host usa volleyball communications manager bj hepner evans bj how are you doing today
1: hey clarence i'm doing great Thanks for having me on the podcast, and I have been busy packing my bags for West Virginia.
0: Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit, little bit, little bit about what's happening in West Virginia? I know for those of you who listened to last week's episode, you heard a little bit about it, but, you know, is getting ready to travel to a certain event that's happening in West Virginia.
1: So our men's national team will be playing in the uh, Continental Championships, um, our Continental uh, organization is called Norseca, North America, Central America, and the Caribbean. So um is it seven teams from those uh areas will be from those countries will be coming to compete in uh Charleston, West Virginia.
0: Mm-hmm. So really quickly for those of you who um just a little bit of a backstory. Um when I first started US volleyball in you know March of twenty twenty, literally right before just everything shut down um i was on the marcom creative team with bj uh you know and bj again one of our uh our, our communications manager holding the whole department down basically, you know, by her lonesome there too. Can you tell uh the listeners and fans a little bit about your background and also talk a little bit a little bit about if I could stop stuttering, <laughs> a little bit about your job as communications manager, what you do, your and all that good stuff. And, you know, you can even touch base on uh how you were out in Tokyo, you know, during the 2020 games as well.
1: Yeah, so um, I started with USA Volleyball in 2006. And no, I don't want to know how old you were in 2006. (laughs) Um, I came to USA Volleyball actually from USA Triathlon. So I've been working in Olympic sports for a little while. Uh, When I first started at USA Volleyball, we were in a very small office and there were about 20 people. So a lot has changed in 17 years but my job has uh more or less stayed at least the main goal has stayed the same which is to promote USA volleyball and everything it is doing to uh for the sport and so i work with traditional media i work with social media which has really uh you know just expanded exponentially since i started and um I maintain really close relationships with uh, the media and with the coaches and the athletes so that I can help tell their stories. Um, I've worked at um, four Olympics. The last one was uh, for USA ball. And the last one was Tokyo, which was a very unique Olympics with um, the COVID restrictions and having pretty empty arenas. But still really exciting to watch how well our teams did, especially our women's indoor team winning gold and watching Alex and April win gold and then being able to go back two weeks later and watch our women's sitting team win gold. So uh, that's a little perk of my position that I really enjoy and um, hopeful that Paris will be my fifth Olympic Games with USA Volleyball Mm -hmm. and Paralympic Games. Thank you
0: for that. So before we actually take a deeper dive into today's episode, if you haven't already listened to our previous episode, uh, we chat with Olympic gold medalist, U.S. women's national team setter, Micah Hancock. And throughout the episode, Micah chats about her Olympic experiences in Tokyo. Um, as well as uh, she talks about a little bit, a little bit about um, her time uh, competing, too. Um, she chats about playing overseas and so much more. Um, if you haven't listened to the episode, definitely go back and listen to episode number 72 with Micah Hancock, Or you can listen to it or you can watch it, excuse me, um, on USA Volleyball's YouTube channel.
1: And now it's time for the news with Hughes.
0: We are officially one year out in the 2024 Paris Paralympics. Our women's sitting national team was the first team for the U.S. to qualify for Paris. They will be looking to win a third gold medal in a row, and the men's sitting national team will have a few chances left to qualify. Let's go USA, getting ready for Paris. Congratulations to the U.S. women's national team for bringing home gold at the 2023 Norseka Women's Pan-American Cup Final Six. Congratulations to Lexi Dinaberg and Carly Khan for winning gold at the Beach Pro Tour Futures in Seoul, Korea. Also, a big congratulations to Aya Lindell and Zolani Hodel for winning a silver medal at the Beach Pro Tour Futures in Egypt. This is also their first international medal. Congratulations to Kim Hildreth and Tegan Van Gunst for winning a silver medal at the Beach Pro Tour Futures in Czech Republic. The U.S. Women's National Team is competing in the 2023 Norseka Continental Championship and is currently 3-0 at the time of this recording. What an epic night this past Thursday at Volleyball Day in Nebraska. The Cornhuskers, excuse me, not only had an incredible outdoor match on the Cornhuskers football stadium against the University of Nebraska Omaha, but they set a world record in attendance for a women's sporting event with 92,003 people in attendance. I hope this becomes an annual match and it'd be really good to go see it in person one day as well. It's an amazing thing to witness. Um, the US men's national team are competing at now on whole soil in Norseca Continental Championship September 5th through the 10th at the Charleston Coliseum and Convention Center in Charleston, West Virginia. Watch these matches streamed on the Volleyball Source YouTube page, and you can still get tickets to this week's matches. Tune in to USA Volleyball Social Media for the links in all the other information and latest news can always be found at usavolleyball.org. Now, before we get into today's episode, BJ, you know our guest pretty well. <laughs> she to do that.
1: Yeah, it's always fun working with you, Clarence. <laughs> um, so I've known this athlete uh, pretty much since I started at USA Volleyball. He was one of the first people I one of the first athletes I got to meet and work with. He well, has been to four Olympic Games for the U.S. and um, has won two medals.
0: So, as you mentioned, today we are chatting with four time Olympian, Olympic medalist, and former outside hitter for the U.S. men's national team, Reed Pretty. Reed shares about his Olympic experiences playing professionally indoors and on the beach side of things. He talks about his business in sand and so much more. This is a great interview, so enough of us talking. Here is Reed pray.
1: What did you think about the uh, men's VNL in Anaheim and everything that went with it? Yeah, I think going to
2: the, the VNL matches here in California was awesome because um, I know how rare it is that we have competitive matches on home soil. And even if it's on home soil, it's typically not in the home of the actual team. So I think for all those reasons, it was, it was great. Um, last year, my son, um, started playing indoor volleyball. Yeah, actually beach as well. He started on the beach and it was something that was completely, um, his thing was, I was trying to get him into golf, to be honest, golf, golf, golf. But, uh, he came to us and said, Hey, I want to enter a tournament. And and so being able to take my son to that experience at his age. Was amazing because now, now the bar is is at its proper height versus you know the uh, the other twelve year old that happens to be a little bit better than my son. So I think any time that we can um, have exposure and access to our very best and the best level and have it mean something and it not just be an exhibition is just super, super rare and, and very awesome. Mm-hmm.
0: You said your son is 12 years old? Yes. And he and he's playing both indoor and beach already?
2: Correct. He turns 13 next week. Yeah. He, uh, it was kind of funny because um, he, last summer, I'm not sure how it happened, but last summer he had heard that there was a, I think Therese Butler passed by uh, one of our in-stand events and sort of told Caden about a uh, 12 and under division. So he came to... Um, my wife, Lindsay and I, and said, Hey, I'd like to ask Crosby, who is Jake Gibson, if he could be uh, my partner in this. And so it was kind of cute. You know, like I called Jake and said, Hey, Jake, is is Crosby available? And it was sort of like this whole like little rite of passage of like, Hey, do you think uh, Crosby, you want to play with me in this event? And Crosby's like, yeah. And so they both were like, okay, we'll let our dads figure it out. And then we get the (laughs) phone. Um, so they played in a division. They had a lot of fun. Crosby is way better. He's he's had a lot more experience. So my my son was uh, got a lot better in the last year. But it's it was uh, I was very surprised. I'm guessing that your your audience and you guys might be surprised, um, but I was surprised to be so excited that he's playing volleyball. Like that just wasn't on my radar at all. It wasn't an aspiration. Like it was just my thing. I had no expectation that my kids need to have it be their thing too. But now that he's expressed interest and, you know, in baseball, we were always pulling him basketball, Same thing. It just felt like, yeah, maybe sports aren't for him, but to have him sort of have his slunks downstairs already ironed and pressed in He's uh, he's got his shoes and he's kind of like guys. We got to go. We got to go. He's asking me all these questions. Um, it's it's been a really surprising, fun year to kind of resurge back into the uh, junior world. Nice, nice. Do you think have you taking- shown
1: him? Have you shown him the gold medal? What does he think of it?
2: He hasn't. Um, no, he's he. Uh, we have a great relationship. He definitely looks up to me, and um, he's not asking. He's asking me. He wants knowledge that he can use right now. And so dad's accomplishments are not usable. So he's asking me about all sorts of goofy things, almost too much. I'm just like, enough, enough of the questions. Like (laughs) when, when should I Cobra? I'm like, never, you know, like, you know, unless you're playing against a seven foot block and the set's too tight, but like, you're not practicing Cobra. Like that's not a thing. Stop asking Mm -hmm. me these weird questions. <laughs> it's funny though, but like, as you
0: talk about it, you call them weird questions. Your your face is just lighting up every time you kind of you know touch base and talk about what he's asked to. So it's it's cool to see that you know excitement on your end too. I bet that's like going to be a really 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 like just memorable journey along the way. Whether he sticks in indoor or saying or both or however it is there too, but I think it'll be pretty pretty memorable for you both.
2: Yeah, I see. I mean, coaching twelves was very interesting, right? So I've uh, I've been coaching a lot of adults in the last uh, you know five years or so, but mm-hmm. um, you can really tell that um, trying to garner their attention into the areas that you want them to go towards is uh, is is it's, it's a challenging process. But w- when you get it right, it's pretty awesome to see you know at such a young age they're able to bump set and spike. It's actually quite amazing. Yeah, and seeing
0: that at the you know Nationals level on the you know girls side, you know the Olympic national finals, they're they're getting you know some amazing rallies going. Uh, some of them are taller than me. I'm six foot two inches, so and it's just you know a whole new generation of volleyball too. But it's it's really cool to see. But I mean. <clears throat> just kind of, you know, on the same topic of volleyball, um, you know, talk a little about coaching, talk about your son's journey. You know, we talked about men's veto already. Um, how were you introduced to the game of volleyball Like, where did you get your start from?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. So I was 15 years old. I, uh, was living in Florida at the time and central Florida. And so it is just the worst environment right outside. The atmosphere is super hot during the summers. Um, And for whatever reason, between eighth and ninth grade year, the entire class, guys and girls would all take PE in summer school. And I think the thinking was, it's so muggy that we don't want to deal with being sweaty during the fall school year when we're freshmen. So whatever, I just followed the flock and uh, took summer school. And it was in summer school that I uh, was introduced to volleyball. So the volleyball coach was also the PE coach. And it was really fun. And she, I, I was a longtime soccer player since I was like five or six years old. So this was, you know, 10 years into that journey. And she was just like, Hey, I see some talent. Like you should try out. And so I did, I tried out for the team and I really liked it. I had a great time. I was on JV. I was, I was tiny. I was like five, four played back row. Uh, I remember at some point she said, you really have good hands. You should be a setter. I was like, no way. I don't know what you're talking about. I mean, it was also new, but uh, we ended up being, really successful. And, uh, you know, we went 11-0 into the conference. We beat our varsity guys, which had facial hair and all this masculine stuff. And so we were like, oh, that was the coolest thing ever. Um, and so, uh, we moved after that year to Phoenix. And, um, the big question was, wow, this was the, I really love this sport of volleyball. And now we're moving to a new place and will they even have men's volleyball? And when, um, we moved to, Phoenix, we ended up settling in a city that, uh, boys volleyball was just sanctioned the very first year. So it was very serendipitous. Um, and I happened to go to the high school with the best coach, Fred Mann. Uh, so it was very fortunate. You know, when I look back, I don't see much coincidence. I, I believe that there was a hand that was directing opening doors. Um, and, uh, there was just too many things one after the other. And, um, was able to pick it right back up, ended up quitting soccer that year. I played varsity as a sophomore soccer, but then ended up having a terrible experience with a coach, unfortunately, and, and just went all in on volleyball from then on out. And, um, funny enough though, um, that PE coach that introduced me to volleyball. So what are we, four Olympic games later, 20 years in the sport, I'd already won the Manhattan as well. So so I'm like, you know what? I should reach back out and just express gratitude. So I I reached back out to her and it was classic. She, her response was remind me again. Like she had no idea. <laughs> wasn't, wasn't following it. She was, <laughs> she was just a PE coach who loved sports, loved kids, and was just doing her job and, and was not at all uh, on the bandwagon trying to it was so funny. You put me in my place, too. Just. <laughs> she, she unintentionally humbled you. You're like, oh, oh all right. Well, yeah, here's a reminder. <laughs> yeah, so that was great. But that's how it all started.
0: So um, you talked about that not so good experience on the, you know, soccer side of things. That kind of, you know, ended that, you know, journey in soccer. At what point did you really see and notice where you have the, you know, potential to make an entire career and uh, and a whole life, basically lifelong career out of volleyball.
2: You know, um, I probably have to set a little bit of context on just my personal framework. So I don't think in terms of probability, I think about possibility. Mm -hmm. And I think that was just in my nature and, um, and so volleyball simply was something that I really enjoyed. So it started as a passion and then, um, not long into it, it became an obsession. So, uh, nobody was pushing me to practice extra. Um, they had ha- they just had happened to build a sand volleyball court on our high school campus, I think like my junior year. So on lunchtimes, we're playing beach volleyball. Mm-hmm. Um, and what high school I is this. This was at Mountain Point High School in Phoenix. Oh, got it. And so we were playing all the time, and of course, we were the outliers because the center of the volleyball universe was in California, uh, and we were, you know, Arizonans. So it was, it was really like that North Shore movie uh, about surfing. It was, it was kind of a similar Rick Kane. I don't know if you've seen that movie, but he was in the wave park in uh, Phoenix. And he goes out to North Shore, but that's kind of how our identity was. We were sort of the outliers. But um, I think the national team, some sometime between, um, I think it was my junior year, came to Phoenix for some match, and I went to it was at the it was called the America West Reed at the time, so where the Suns play. And that was the first time that like I was like, wow, like that's amazing. I think I want to say Mike Lambert might have been on the team. It might have been before him, but. Um, it was just so impressive. And I think that's when the Olympics were like first introduced to me. So that would have been before the 96 Olympics or maybe just after. No, it would have been before. And then, um, I did a USA tryout, you know, the focus was just getting into college and played at a D one college in California. That's all I was focused on. So once that happened, um, my first USA tryout was actually quite, Awful. Um, I made it to the second day, which was, well, it was the first time that the A-team and the World Uni team was having a tryout at the same time. So I made it to the second day, was, which was like really awesome. And on that second day, uh, I'm going to I'm gonna tell names. I, 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 I don't have to protect anybody anymore, do I? <laughs> uh, so um, so Mike Seeley and Eric Sullivan were trying out for the A-team. And they couldn't have been worse to me that day. They were so mean. And I just remember they're like, basically it was just like, just go stand in the corner and like, we'll take it from here. That's basically, so I hope they're watching this. Cause that was, <laughs> that was mean spirited and bully behavior. Um, but I, I remember leaving that tryout thinking like, well, okay, the Olympics seemed cool, but like, if that's the environment that it's like, like I'm not interested. And, uh, I grew up, through the high school years, watching the AVP. So that was kind of what was on my mind. I'm just going to play beach and um and do that. But then I a second tryout two years later came along. Um, and I ended up making that team. And uh, we trained in San Diego just as a World Uni team. And I tore my ab. I was so excited to play. I just overplayed in the first eight days. Tore my ab. And went, so the team went to the World Uni games without me. And I went, uh, they flew me to Colorado Springs. So it was the first time that I was sort of around the A-team guys. And uh, that was really formative because that was like, they're talking about investments and pro seasons. And it just seemed totally foreign to me and super cool. Uh, That was in 1999. and And then I went to the Pan Am Games after that. So I got to experience international competition for the first time. And then the very next year, um, I chose, I I could have redshirted that year and stayed in Colorado Springs to try to make the 2000 team. But I had had something in my mind that just said, nope, I want to graduate. I want to get my degree. I had a lot of great friends that were seniors also wanted to finish the season out. So I finished the season out and then got invited out to Colorado to try to make that last spot. Mm -hmm. I ended up getting... Was one of the last guys cut on that 2000 team. I was an alternate and I got to see the entire buildup to an Olympic Games. Um, and, you know, from the gear, the attention, the excitement. And I was actually even on the bus with the team, the Olympic team. And I was just going to LA and they were going on to Sydney. So that was really the moment where I was just like, okay, whatever those guys did to be on the right side of this roster, like I'm now. I'm now in, you know. Uh, so that was kind of the progression for me. It wasn't, um, it seemed like the seed was planted early, but all these different steps, you know, had to take place.
1: So, Reed, we kind of talked, we're talking about the Olympics. So let's move on to 2008 and uh, the Beijing Olympics and kind of what was it like getting ready for those and then your experience in Beijing.
2: Yeah, I think, um, well, to talk about 2008, you probably have to go all the way back to 2005, um, and which is where sort of it all started. Of course, we didn't know anything at the time because we were just young athletes. Um, but Hugh McCutcheon was our assistant for several years leading into 2004. And then he was, um, many of us went to Vienna, Austria, and sort of like a, a U.S. protein plant plant. Um, where he was the head coach. So he took over in 2005 and, and really had a vision of, of how he wanted to approach things. And uh, it all started with this uh, mission statement exercise that uh, we thought was stupid. Uh, we just were just like, why aren't we, you know, um, all right. Why aren't we in a gym sweating and yelling and jumping and, hitting balls. Why are we sitting in a conference room for two days, not just one and talking about what we want to achieve and dreams and all that stuff. But he, uh, had thick enough skin to deal with it and, um, led us through a mission statement. Uh, and again, we didn't, even after that, um uh, didn't feel like that significant of a thing. Um, but looking back on it now, it was absolutely formative. So what that ended up doing was we articulated that we wanted to win 2008. And we weren't trending. We weren't the up-and-coming team. And it eventually, um, you know, every day that was referenced, every day in practice, that theme was referenced at the whiteboard, both before practice and after practice in, in very organic, natural, but authentic ways. Um, and it really set us on this path of like becoming masters of our craft. Um, and this whole pursuit of mastery and of course, Hughes assembled a, an amazing team and they were all sort of intellectuals, um, that applied, you know, data science and, and mindset stuff, et cetera. So coming into 2008, Beijing, we had just won the world league, which was, I think maybe one of our, <coughs> um, last bits of maturity to sort of be ready and, and, uh, what was really cool that happened in that event that I'm not sure how much, how publicly this has been shared, but, um, we got smashed by, um, I believe it was Serbia early on. And, uh, in the locker room after that match, this was in the world league final. So we weren't out of it, but this was, it was a, it was a bad loss. Um, you know, she kind of went into his normal post game thing. And I think at that point, his voice, maybe you know, we would we were sort of all individually processing and probably selfishly, uh, but Tom Hoffs, who was our captain, sort of almost like cut him off and stands up in the locker room and just starts railing into our team. And Tom had developed um, a voice within our team that was incredibly trusted, so he was he had permission to do that because. Everyone knew where he stood. It was team first. So if you were being publicly scolded, uh, you took it because you knew that it was not coming from a place of selfishness or belittling or anything like that. So he's just railing into us. We were, we were making errors. We were going off into our own little corners on the court. We weren't coming together as a team, and he was just like, "That's not us. We don't, we don't do that." And so it was really sort of that like ownership piece that he instilled and uh, we went out and um, barely won against Poland. I think Riley had like a, a touch, a match point in the fifth set, a touch off his head that we run down and happened to turn. And we ended up winning that at five. And then in the finals, which was really cool. Um, I believe clay was like all Serbia did. So we ended up playing that TV again. All Serbia did was try to stop clay. Cause I mean, he was our steamroller and, um, I think Claywood went, went for like, I don't know, Oh, for eight or Oh, for 10 in the first set. But because of that sort of kick in the pants in the locker room, we all were just, the dialogue was very positive. Keep swinging. We'll try to figure it out. Like, like, don't even sweat it. And he went on to be, of course, the MVP of the world league finals. He found his rhythm, found out what they were doing against him, and and overcame. And so, all of that took place just two weeks before we go to Beijing. So coming into Beijing, I think we were ready to do it um, and, and ready to sort of take on the world. Probably had the confidence that, you know, beating Brazil in Brazil in the world league finals. I, I just think that we, we felt that it was, it was going to come together. And uh, you know, obviously um, the tournament started off awful and tragic. And um, uh, but I think, what Hugh did in terms of preparing us to sort of, Hey, you've been working towards this. So the best, the way that the only way that, that we as players could deal with that situation was to just put our heads down and and just try to play hard. And, and, but his moniker was play hard, play smart, play together. Um, and so we did that and, and, you know, got into the metal rounds and every game was close and uh yeah got into the finals and it was it was probably the third set where i think we knew we knew it was going to be we were going to win um when they made some weird change we just felt so in control that particular team could score real points almost better than we could side out so there was no gap in score that seemed to collectively intimidate us and the fact that we knew that every five rotations, Clay was going to serve. So like (laughs) that combination, um, you know, we were nails passing, we had an amazing setter. Um, and, and, uh, it was, it was a really fun and great experience. And, uh, we just celebrated actually two uh, last Thursday, it was 15 years. So we still have a text thread. Of course, I totally forgot, but they all of a sudden we start getting dinged and, um, I was actually planning a golf event for 11 other guys. So we all celebrated. Um, I, I, we basically had a a little celebration for, and I said, yeah, okay, you 11 are representing my 11 teammates. Cheers. And, and uh, we celebrated the 15 years. Oh, that was an amazing
1: experience. And I'll just fill in here. Um, I know you guys don't love to talk about it, but the day after the opening ceremony in Beijing, um, Hugh McCutcheon's family, his wife and her parents were attacked in Beijing and her father was killed and her mother was severely injured. And so that immediately he left the team and was with them in the hospital in Beijing. And, uh, so the team played the first three matches without Hugh and, uh, Ron Larson was the, uh, the de de facto head coach. And, um, John Sparra was one of the assistants, and he stepped up. And um, really, the way you and the team fought through that, and you know, won those first three matches. I remember that very first match against Venezuela, like wondering if you were going to win because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it went five. Yeah, and I also remember it was the was it the semifinal against Russia that. Again, you guys, it went five and it was sort of David Lee coming through and that fits that, that really, uh, that really carried you through. Yeah. Well, the semifinals was in five also. So I'm sorry,
2: the, the quarterfinals. So we played, I couldn't remember when you played Russia, but. Well, Serbia, Serbia was, uh, I think we bought 15, 12 the sixth. That was, that could have gone either way. Uh, and then, yeah. Um, yeah. So that block actually that Dave Lee blocked Mihailov on the match point, um, sort of the backstory with that one is that Max Mihailov, I think he was, he ended up being a teammate of mine over in Russia, but I think he was 18 at the time. And we just did not have an answer. He was destroying us the entire night. And so we had an internal dialogue between Riley and myself, Dave Lee and Ryan Millar. And, um, you know, by and large, the middle blockers role typically is to close the block. And, um, Max was just chewing us up. And Riley and I, you know, undersized. And we finally just said to Dave and Ryan, like, don't close to us. You know, we might fly one time, we might stay. Like, he's not hitting seam. He's hitting sharp. He's hitting cross and sharp and cross. So, whoever the outside hitter that is not blocking will fill that seam. You guys just get left hand on ball, stop that cross. And, And so we were literally just rehearsing, talking it through and He was just obliterating us, but we finally got him one time. And, uh, I love to tell that story because sometimes it only takes one, you know, and it just happened to be at the right moment. And we just, that that was like, in terms of like euphoric, I can't even imagine the amount of dopamine that was running through the system because it was like. That was like one of those last-second shots. Like you don't know which way it's going to go, and uh, it was it was absolutely thrilling and and amazing to be a part of.
1: I think there was also a quote from Loy Ball, who was your amazing setter, who uh, said he just went over to David Lee and said, "Stop this guy!"
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, he was tearing us up. I mean, they're such a they're, they're an amazing team. Um, they had a coach. You know, Alecno is very similar to the type of style that Hugh coaches. So they were, they were interesting. And and of course, they were way bigger than us uh, on average. And um, so they they were, they were always a tough team to play against.
0: You know, through the, through the entire journey, you know, the the adversity, the training, the prep, the intense moments, um, you know, what, what did, what does winning that gold medal mean to you personally?
2: What does the gold medal mean to me personally? Um, it was, and I miss it. I do. I absolutely miss it. Uh, when I watched those guys play in Anaheim, I, I was just like, oh man, I miss this. So I throw my, I personally, I can't answer that for other people, but for me personally, um, Competing at the very edges of your own ability is where I get that internal dopamine hit, um, and so I played for some super teams in my career where winning was almost the expectation, and that never I I never uh, enjoyed that as much as sort of like not even knowing like how is this match going to go. So I I uh, I loved in that period of time to be in the final match just just in the match knowing that there wasn't another match happening in the world that was like that this was the top of the top and uh and so to overcome you know feels great you know it's it's uh i guess having a gold medal is is um i don't know i guess just a I let me you know i I guess I've never really even thought about that question to be honest with you it's It's obviously special. it earmarks and catalyzes that period of time mm-hmm. um, but i I just really enjoyed competing at the highest level um which is really what drove me i mean the uh a lot of the elements that drive professional athletes aren't necessarily super healthy things. <laughs> And, uh, uh, you know, for example, I never took sick days. Um, like you can't even say that in, in post COVID era, but like, I was so afraid. I knew that everybody was so good. And I was like, man, if I take a sick day, somebody can take my spot. Um, and so that drive to sort of be the best that you can be and to compete against the best. Um, you know, if, if there was as high of a achievement that was. Um I think the the downside to that was you know we when we um when we won, I think our typically after an Olympic Games, the locker room's talking about like, all right, what are you gonna do? Are you gonna go vacation or I'm gonna take a year off or this, that, and the other? And Brazil had just dominated for five years. So I think they set the standard. It was just sort of like, all right, like how do we how do we do that? Let's go repeat that. Like nobody's taking any time off. Let's go. And that was right when Hugh shifted to the women's team. And then, um, Alan became the next coach, but he wasn't hired until I think I want to say like late, late spring. So there was just this momentum shift. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I think for any of your young listeners that are out there, um, It is very compelling and your alumni, your USA alumni want to see us dominate over time. So it's not just about winning one tournament or one world champs or one Olympic games. It's about dominating and being at the top and being and meddling in, in all the events. Um, There's no reason why we could not do that um, with the amount of development that's going on in the U S right now in volleyball. And that needs to be the standard. And unfortunately with uh, social media, I think so one of the downsides I think we just saw it in US women's soccer that there's such an allure a to actually be on the team that you lose that little bit of like what's the purpose of the team so it's not just about arriving on the senior team and representing USA even though that is absolutely epic and amazing but once you're there you have a job to do and that is to that is to, to try to win Every competition that you enter, and um and so, yeah, I think uh I don't, yeah, I think that's that's kind of what it means to me,
0: thank you for that. I know it's hard to put that something like that into you know a few words and sentences, too, so I mean, I think you painted a really good picture there. Um, I think this is a good way, a good segue into you know 2016. We're on the topic of Olympics and you know some really memorable things happening. But um, I mean that was the year. Well, um, after you recovered from your ACL tear, and um, how, can you talk about a little bit what that rehab process was like for you, and you know what it was like coming back to win bronze?
2: Yes. So this is. Um... How am I gonna s- summarize this in 90 seconds? Uh <laughs> you have you oh, no. by the, by the way again, yeah. if you're good on time, we can we can go yeah. well past Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> so I, just know I, what bore, I don't want to bore your uh, your 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 audience. But um so I was on the team as a, in a starting position for 14 years. Um John, when John took over, I knew I knew that John is an innovator and he likes youth and he likes young. A young team so i I was even I remember when I took the call I, I don't know that I've even ever told John this, but I remember being in Turkey at the time and um uh, talking with John about the future and and literally I'm thinking like this conversation could go one of two ways uh and I was thinking he was gonna be like, hey like thanks for your service high five you know we've got this long list of young guys and um and he was thankfully like hey i you know like let's do this let's go if you still have it in the tank let's go so um i entered into 2014 um you know now it's now 14 years and um so even though John gave me the permission i still was searching for how did i fit with this young group um I had been around long enough to watch my contemporaries phase out in one way or another and so uh, we had a pre-world, it used to be called World League, now it's called DNL. We had a pre-tournament in, in, uh, Bo- uh, in Colorado Springs before we went to Bulgaria. And during those matches, man, I was soul-searching because I was like, how do I... I was looking for motivation of like, I, I know how important this job is. Like I just told you guys, this isn't about taking up a spot. This is about witty. And so I need to find vision for how I uniquely fit into this spot. I do not want to just, you know, occupy it um, if I'm not sort of vibing and and naturally fitting. So, you know, I'm kind of reaching into my family now because they've now been a part of it with me for a long time. And I'm like, well, maybe I could play for them because they love this. Like, I'm just kind of searching. So when I went to Bulgaria, I had all of that swirling and i went uh, i remember being in sofia bulgaria we were it was i mean imagine a 10,000 seat arena that is like 60 years old so i'm in this dark and dingy locker room and uh literally moss on the walls dripping you know like the whole deal so and i'm i'm just literally thinking about this first match like man it, it, am, am i done is this are we over And so as I walk out, I start to warm up, go through my, my routine. And then all of a sudden, you know, the crowd starts filling in. I get, you know, my juices flowing, get started sweating. And I, um, we get up to the national anthem and now all of a sudden, like I'm starting to catch some vision here. Okay. This is interesting. Like, this is still really meaningful. And then we get into the match. We get down 0-2, and then we ended up winning in five. And um, I played a really important role that night. But it was it was no longer because I uh, like the stat line wouldn't have shown it. But I just know that there was ways that I fit into that team that I was the now the veteran. I, there was there was no situation that that could come that I probably hadn't seen and could probably help uh, bring value to the team just by way of experience. So I'm not the high flyer. I'm not the hardest hitter anymore, you know, like all this stuff. And so after that win, um, I literally got all the vision I needed to know that like, all right, gold and Rio done. Like, this is it. I know exactly the role, the person that I need to be. I know that I can do this role and I'm ready to go. So the very next night we pick up where we left off, we're cruising, we're almost done with the match. And that's when I tear my ACL. So had I not had the revelations of the night before, like who knows what have happened um, in terms of a recovery because I was 36 years old. So I ended up, you know, we ended up flying back, ended up choosing to take out the... I had double knee surgery. So I blew out my ACL in the knee that has jumper's knee damage. So I couldn't use the tissue in my jumper's knee to create a new ligament. So the surgeon says, I think we, you know, not I think, he was very confident. We need to take the tissue out of your good knee. And that was very controversial, right? Because the other option was to use a cadaver. And at the end, it came down to math. The cadaver failure rate was one in five. The, uh, using my own tissue was one in 20. So I had a much higher chance of, of the graft taking. So I chose to cut my bad knee create a new ligament into my good knee. And that obviously delayed my, my comeback, um, even longer and made it more painful and harder. But I'm looking back now, it was the best thing ever. And, um, and yeah, so I, 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 you know, in my absence the, the team ended up going on to win that world league and, uh, without me. So that brought on a whole new set of like question marks when you're just like grinding, doing little goofy rehab things and the team's winning. It's like, Oh, okay. Maybe, maybe I, maybe my role isn't that important. Uh, maybe they're good without me. Um, but just kind of grinded through it. Um, the next summer, more injuries, like uh, basically there was so much stress. Uh, I can't even, I can't even, uh, I'm sure a lot of athletes out there can understand, but like my desire to come back was, um, my mindset was obviously stronger than my body was ready to handle and so it got to a point where we had a trip in iran iran sorry and um i was secretly warming up so that i could warm up with the team and i ended up having a uh, stress fracture i mean it was just it was just too much but i mean i was very motivated uh finally my body started to cooperate and uh what was really fascinating Was that at the time John was basically saying whether this was true or not? Only he can. You'll have to ask him. But he was basically letting us know that, like, hey, um, I'm going to choose the roster based on data. So every day we're going to take stats, we video it, and the numbers are going to tell a story, and and that's the story that we're going to go out with. So you know, here I am, always relied on my sort of ability to just be more athletic and faster and more dynamic, then that was my strength. And now all of a sudden I couldn't do those things. So I had to produce numbers under situations that I didn't have my gait. And uh, what was really amazing about that process was that I had to learn all these new and different ways to kill a ball. And so when my body started to catch back up, then I could do the old stuff still and the new stuff. And it was just like, I mean, the big... If, if any young player is listening to us right now, use learning how to use timing and the block to your advantage as an attacker is the number one skill. Vision and rage, basically, is what we say at the top level. But um, I was a banger. I, w- I would jump and try to avoid. And once I learned that other skill, I was like, why was I spending so much time doing all of that stuff? Like, There's still going to be that moment where it's all going to line up and you're going to be able to had the hit that everybody remembers, but hosting all the other stuff, chiseling, using the outside hand, understanding that blocking is really hard. Not very many blockers are actually over the net at the point of impact, manipulating timing. I'm going to hit it fast. I'm going to hit it slower. I'm going to hit it high. I'm going to hit it low. Just basically creating, you know, we would call it being cagey. Um, Basically produced in me, like I just felt like a Swiss army knife that like I had a tool for every situation. So by the time we got to Rio, um, I felt like I was playing the best volleyball of my entire career and certainly couldn't hit over the block. Wasn't bouncing dicks. Um, but in terms of like production and, you know, getting things done, getting the job done that needed to be done in the, in the exact moment, I, If I had to play a high stakes match with everything on the line, I I would choose 2016 Reed, even though, you know, it probably looked cooler in 2010. Uh, So that's kind of how it was in going into the team. And and obviously, I played more of a supportive role. Um, It was devastating to lose to Italy in the semis that I think that took our entire squad um, a lot of
1: time to heal from to even be able to compete on that Sunday. Read just a break, and how was it for you? I know how it was for me watching those serves from Zaitsev in the in that Italy match. Just you guys were you were in control. The team had won the first two sets, and it it, it must have been so hard for you to sit there and watch that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know that's
2: that's certainly well. Let me in in London. Italy, uh, Italy did the same exact thing. It just happened to be Zaitsev and Savani. And, uh, you know, I felt like we were a better team, but like those guys are, um, sort of like savants. I mean, like they, they just have a mind, uh, they've been introduced to a high level of volleyball at such a young age. And that I think they understand when the moment is the moment and they get used to rising to the occasion and i think italy of all the countries in the world have overperformed their talent more over like more than any other team and i think there were you know some some smart college volleyball professor professor should study that and try to figure out like what's happening with that because it's it's not physical it's mental there's something happening there that is interesting um and and but and so yeah i mean uh, so that wasn't new. That wasn't a surprise, I should say. um but yeah, it was obviously you know as a player, you have a role and you you don't get to choose um how you're utilized and and obviously it was very it was very difficult. It was very difficult to watch that happen and and even in the end of the fifth set, uh very very difficult and uh you know um, I get a lot of credit now for my mindset now. And, you know, people need to know that I was, I, gosh, I, my competitive drive is what is unique. And it was, once I learned that that was a stronger system than my self-confidence, it overran my self-confidence, but I was not the guy that, that was always super self-confident and always knew, you know, all those different things. And so, Certainly after that Italian match, I was devastated and it took 36 hours, maybe for me to even be at a place where, cause the, the one thing I did not want, I knew that I was ending my career the next day. And the one thing I did not want, I was able to get all the way to that point with gratitude and acceptance and full-on commitment and i i there was like this seed of resentment that was like bubbling up because for me it was all about gold it was just gold and um and thankfully i have an amazing support system around me and uh, was able to sort of work through that process with them and and then just even in my own journal and was able to find a, a really land on gratitude and was able to enter that final day like literally at peace total peace total gratitude and um and you know my number was called and i was able to put out my best stuff um just and and there was no it was it was just totally pure it was uh, a really special way um it was really special obviously a ton of hardship up to that point but I'm, i'm extremely grateful for that opportunity and uh just to be out there with the guys and to have share that experience um and those are the times that you don't want it to end. You know, like, like I said, I played on some super teams where it's just like, let's hurry up and win. Those are the times where it's just like win or lose. I just want this to keep going. Like, how do we just extend this maps? This is so fun to kind of, you know, punch, counter punch, And uh, so, yeah, that was a that was a special experience. So,
0: you know, aside from winning gold and and, and winning bronze and uh what what's been what have been some of your favorite memories from the Olympics? Uh, it could be, you know, one thing from each of the games you experience, one consistent thing that's been, uh, you know, a constant overall or, you know, anything in between. Like, you know, what are what are some of those, you know, most memorable takeaways you've had from all that?
2: I think. I think all the shared experiences are the best ones, right? So, so all the shared experiences with the teammates, um, you take for granted when you're in that space that you basically are traveling around with your brothers, you know, like it's, it's, you've got this massive family and then you get into the real world and you're a only child. Um, and it can get really lonely really quickly. So I think that, um, you know, in the early stages, like the first Olympic games, I just think it's all about like, Lights and fancy, like free stuff and and it's hard to sort of settle in. But by the time that like I got to Rio, none of that stuff was on my my mindset. so i I even remember walking out during the opening ceremonies and just being filled with joy, like legitimate joy and excitement with my teammates. And I could definitely they, they, you know my teammates would tell you I can be very driven, forward thinking, focused, locked in. And just sort of miss, you know, the relational side sometimes. Um, and I feel like, I feel like at that stage, I was able to take it all in, which was which was really speci- special. I was actually asked a similar question recently yesterday. Actually, I was uh, Misty May, myself, and Troy Tanner. We all went down to uh, Camp Pendleton and did some stuff with the Marines yesterday on the beach, which was super fun. But they asked me about an Olympic story. And, one of the great ones was uh, my first Olympic games. I didn't really understand what was happening. So during the opening ceremonies, you first get dressed and you're hanging out in front meeting other Americans. Then you get bused to a holding tank. We're playing cards, we're meeting people and there's nonstop water and power read everywhere at the time. And we, so, you know, you're just hydrating and, and try to stay off your feet. By the time that we get to March, I had to go to the bathroom so bad that it was like it was painful. It wasn't just like, man, I really need. to. So we're walking into my first Olympic Games, and all I can think about was I'm going to pee my pants on worldwide TV. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if you guys remember Greece, but they had a um, the infield had water on it, and it drained. So I'm thinking like, do I, do I ask the guys that like huddle around me? And I just, <laughs> I squat down. But, um, so somewhere along the way, like literally we're, we're trekking along. We get into the end seal that I, at this point, I'm just, um, I don't know. I'm having the worst time <laughs> the, uh, our, our bet, one of our best sprinters of all time, Sonia Richards Ross somehow finds out that I have to go to the bathroom. She's like, I got to go too. And so we basically the confidence of the two of us, we literally leave and we walk through countries and go into the arena uh, and go to the bathroom. And then we walk back in. So we have this connection point. So in terms of like Olympic stories, that's one of my favorites. And I mean, she's just had an amazing career uh, and then now still killing it. So every time, every so often we'll just, you know, connect message, whatever, you know, whenever our um, pass cross and have just the greatest laugh about that first story having to go to the bathroom. But yeah, there's lots of times where, you know, it's just, it's just the team. Um, and also the family, I would say your family, you know, you have your own little tribe that's traveling with you, the friends and family house that, you know, your listeners probably don't know about, but you know, there, there would be sort of, there's the athlete village, where you would stay, but then there's, uh, the U S contingent will take over, um, uh, and create, um, uh, a, a, basically a meeting, a hospitality space where your family will go. And that is basically their village. And that is kind of your spot to meet up with them. And, and it's all the U S family. So that uh, awesome experiences being there and meeting other families, other athletes, and so yeah, a lot of great memories.
1: Great, I'm curious, what were some of your favorite teams to play against? Because I I I remember one time in Chicago against Poland and there was some there was some jabbering across the net. I think we have a photo of you actually kind of not looking super happy. And I'm just wondering like, were those some of your favorite matches or what who who did you like to play against? That's funny you say that because for
2: whatever reason. It, indoor volleyball has sort of absorbed sort of an, a, a European mentality, almost tennis-like. And so I sort of absorbed that as well. So there was this like line of respect and all it took was me playing on the beach for a little bit and playing against Trevor Crabb to learn <laughs> that like, like why do I have this expectation that there is like, there's certain teams and players that have zero respect and, uh, but at the elite level, there's usually this like unspoken level of respect. Um, and so it's, I think those types of times boil up when somebody has sort of crossed that invisible line. That's kind of funny that it's even there in the first place. So, yeah, Poland, um, I, I remember, I, I'm forgetting his name right now, but he was a middle blocker. He, um, he was a goofball and, and, there was no line of respect um, that he was interested in holding, so that was the good news. But I, I always loved to play against Brazil. Um, you know, to me, they were the Chicago Bulls. They were the they were the team. They were the dynasty, really. And so, um, our desire and passion to play against them ended up being their Achilles heel because we got so comfortable playing against them. Um, Russia was always hard for us because I think their perspective. And worldview, not worldview, that, that, that can be taken all sorts of different ways, but they're, they're, um, they just seem to be so matter of fact. Like we're on today, we're off tomorrow. And so it was hard for us to hem and haw with those types of teams where we seem to be more engaged with those Latin American teams that a lot of passion, a lot of competitiveness. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess, I don't know if I had a favorite team to play against other than Brazil. Um, I I hated playing against Italy, especially when they had Vermilio, even though he was a teammate of mine later. But he spent the entire game just, just talking. And that was actually, uh, that got brought up recently as well. So 2004, I think I get subbed out and I'm sitting on the, on the bench, just watching him just like light up our guys. And I just was raging. So by the time I get back on the court, I'm engaging now with him and we lose and we're back in the locker room and tall off, you know, say same, same leader comes to me and he's just like, all you need to do is win. Like, if, like how much better would you feel right now? Not to beat him in a war of words, but to actually be sitting in the locker room right now as the one who won And that really shifted my mindset of just like, you know, all of this smack talking stuff is just absolutely goofy. Um, It's theatrics. I want to win. You know, I want to make sure that that other guy is sitting in his locker room upset because, you know, we've got the music going and we're hanging out. We're having fun because, you know, we came out on top.
0: I think um, I'm glad you brought it up in the beginning, um, but um, it, I think it's a good transition into the beach and AVP side of things. But um, can you just talk about, you know, what it was like winning the, you know, the, the Manhattan Beach Open uh, and what just what it's like competing in there, what it was like to win it at that, you know, at that level uh, overall. I mean, that's a very special tournament to, you know, to win.
2: Yeah. Th- yeah. The most special, I think. Uh, I mean, it's obviously massive and, um, you know, just like everything, uh, context is really important. And so that particular summer, um, I had linked up with uh Theo Bruner to, you know, make an Olympic run. And, um, and so we had some early success and then, you know, hit some, a rough patch in the middle of the summer. And, um, I really, I really, you know, I was really had my sights on competing for the U S on the beach side. And at the time our beach U S teams were not thriving. So the Jakes and Taylors, the Phil and Nick's um, that were at our top were not, they were not in this sort of position that they had always been in the past. And so from my perspective, I'm sitting there looking at what's ahead of us. So we were sitting fourth. We were 33rd in the world. We were sitting fourth sort of in that race. I think the other team might've been Casey Patterson and chase butting So I'm just looking at what's ahead of us and I'm just like, Oh man, like this is going to come down to the wire. This is not going to be a runaway and it's anybody's game or try and try. I'm sorry. Try and Trevor was, were up there too. So, um, things happened between with our particular team, and um in the end, ceo basically said, you know i'm I'm out. I, I don't want to be in this race anymore. And unfortunately, that happened at a window to where I could not pick up anybody else. It was mathematically impossible. You need twelve events to even qualify. and so that was that was just devastating. I mean, just to have somebody else have that power was just eye-opening of how difficult beach volleyball is. and how important it is to be linked with somebody that's like-minded and, um, and could, I don't know, see it through. So as soon as that happened, um, it was right after the Vienna event and try had just broken his hand. So Rich Lamborn sent a text to me and Trevor that basically just said like, Hey, you know, Trevor pretty on the pier this year, something goofy like that. And then it was just like, well, yeah, let's do it. And of course there's some backstory that I'm sure you can find online of, of Trevor and I, Trevor was one of those guys that there is, there's no such thing as a line of respect. Um, I mean, it's his greatest skill to try to just chirp and talk. And, uh, and so we kind of had, we had, uh been at each other in a very highly public way, but on, Behind the scenes, we sort of had already buried the hatchet um, I just didn't understand where he was coming from to be honest, and actually, when I looked at all of the players, um I actually respected the way he competed more than any of them because he never mailed it in I mean, he was he was I, to me competitiveness is is one of the most important values and um I think it's also in composure and and respect is also up there too but but I'll take competitiveness. Um, and so we linked up and, and went on this, this tear. So I think that context is really important. I mean, we're both sort of just like, I'm just super bummed, right? Because the Olympics is officially over and I didn't lose. I just lost the opportunity, uh, to stay in the hunt. Um, and then, and then Trevor, those guys were playing really good and and try broke his hand. So going into that event, um, Obviously, there was a lot on the line off the court and off the seeds, and so it was amazing just to like put my head down. And, and Trevor and I were are really good together because we're both pretty fierce competitors. And so at the end of the day, there there was zero drama. Um, he wasn't worried about what I was thinking. I wasn't worried about what he was thinking. It was like, what does the job need to get done? And it was like a great match. And in beach volleyball, and I don't think people realize this a lot, but. You know, siding out is really important. Obviously, it's a rally score game, so siding out is critical. So, you, so, if you have two guys that are really good at siding out, you have a you have a good chance at winning. Now, um, scoring real points is also important, but I think that everyone has just sort of gotten locked into the Phil Dahlhauser, you know, Ricardo Santos, you know, tall guy, small guy, or the Misty and the Carry. Um, but I think looking at our win, I think, I think more people should be questioning, like, how did that happen? Um, you had two undersized guys. Um, obviously, I'm, I'm like a non-existent blocker on the beach. Um, <laughs> Trevor is a good, uh, is a good delay blocker. Um, but really, the model is we, we, we took extra risk at the service line. So serving is the first part of your defense. So we just risked it from the service line. You know, we ended up scrambling for points and be really good in transition. Um, and so I think that's a model that is so overlooked. Everyone keeps chasing sort of that big, small concept. When in reality, you know, I'm telling my inside coaches, like, find somebody you can side out with and then spend the entire off season trying to score points from the service line. You'll have a chance at, at you know, gaining ground against your competitors. So coming out on top was, was it was very timely. And I will tell you this. COVID happened the next year. So I will tell you, I do still hold some bitterness and resentment are not the right words, but missed opportunity. Like I, I, I feel like me as a beach player um, never even got to never even got close to what was potentially possible, mm-hmm. but having that mm-hmm. win at least was um, helps me. It helps me deal with it today because COVID has happens the next year. And you know, where I'm, where I was at off the court in business, uh, you know, trying to maintain a, basically a, an expensive, an expensive passion hobby, which is beach volleyball. Uh, just was not possible. So man, if, if, if that didn't happen and I just sort of phased out of, of beach volleyball without that, that,
1: that would have been a hard pill to swallow. I'd been a grumpy old man, probably. <laughs> So what are you up to today? What, what is, what are you, what business are you in? What are you, what are you doing? What is InSand? Well, uh,
2: InSand is a performance training company. And we, um, I basically was looking for, I did not want to compete with my friends. And I just felt like most people that transition out of being athletics would probably go into a junior market and, um, start a club and all the, and that just seemed really hyper competitive to me. Uh, I did not want to compete. I just represented the country for so many years. That was my identity. So how do I, where's the gap? Um, and so I just started really researching and searching for where's the gap. I really want to see volleyball expand from a business standpoint. And I had been on the board of USA Volleyball for a while, so and, and in a lot of different conversations of people trying to solve the the volleyball sustainability problem the same way, which was let's start from the top and go down, let's build a pro league, you know, and that just I didn't seem like that was working. Um, and so I, I guess a few things happened. One, starting to play beach, my body got better, so I I started to notice increase muscle gain. Um decrease anti-inflammation needs, you know, there was no impact to my joints. Um it was fun, it was outdoors, it was communal. Um and then I started noticing that so many people have said yes to volleyball but aren't played it today because they didn't they weren't good enough to keep going uh and there's just not that many uh sure there's a lot of rec leagues but um, how do we find something that fits into and everyday working person's, you know, 40 hour a week or kids and all that kind of stuff. So we, we essentially, um, you know, saw that model. And I think the last piece was recognizing that the, the dynamics that happen in a, in an athletic department. So whether it be USA volleyball or Nebraska collegiate athletics, um, the dynamics that are happening in those environments uh, where everything is designed around athlete performance, are really really compelling. I mean, it is it is thrilling to be a pro athlete. You you are being invested in. You're surrounded by a team of experts, and their only goal is to help you be the best that you can be. So, with that in view, and also being a part of a team and this team sense, and even being in Colorado Springs, you know, being able to train next to the the combat athletes where they're just like at a, another level or the gymnasts. I mean, there was so much synergy that happens on a, on a US campus. Um, and so I basically was a part of this mechanism for, for 20 something years. And now I'm off on my own and I'm, I'm recognizing that the fitness industry is basically renting. People are renting access to weight, a weight room, And that's, that's not weight room. Weights are a a part of increasing performance, but it's like 5%. So there's this other dynamic, all these other things that are happening, teams, coaches. And, uh, and so all of those things basically culminated in the unique link that I found was to basically take sand as a technology, take volleyball as a strategy and build a community around being active outdoors and moving with other people and our tagline. So the company is called in sand. Our tagline is "Move together. And i you know, I can close with this, that, that comes from William Morgan basically um, who invented our sport and our sport, you know, as I understand it, and, Oh my gosh, John Kessel and everybody else that watches this is going to totally correct me because my history is going to be wrong. But as I understand it, um, you know, essentially, industrial revolution is happening. Kids are leaving their farms and now they're in cities. Their Their options are bars and bar- brothels. How do we create a new healthy space for the, the youth? Let's use sports. So the YMCA starts to serve the youth in that way. And um, William Morgan recognizes that basketball is a little bit um, unique in who it's attracting. He wants to create a game that's more attractive to more people that guys and girls could play together at a lunchtime over an hour. And his entire goal, it sounded like from the history that I know, was that he wanted people to just get together and get moving. Because when those two things happen, um, there's all this other ancillary benefit that happens with that connection. And uh, and so that's what we're channeling. Uh, we're we're trying to basically take a page out of the CrossFit book, where they combine some things that are interesting and and like, we'll make a workout and build a community around it. So that's. That's what I'm doing.
1: Awesome. Anything else? Anything else going on right now in your in your life with your family? What? Son's playing volleyball. I know we talked about that. How about how about your daughter? Does she uh, look like she's going to go into athletics?
2: She is. Uh, she's theatrical. Um, she likes dance. She's very social. Uh, we have her in Friday Night Lights for the first time, so we're, so we're learning how to catch. Uh, at the moment, uh, we've got all sorts of, uh, <clears throat> dad, dad's trying to level her up quickly because her first game's next week, <laughs> but, uh, we homeschool. Uh, my wife is, is a rock star in homeschooling our kids. We did that before COVID. So it actually was, was great. Um, our son just started Balboa Bay. We're really excited about, which has been around forever. Uh, Travis Turner's club and and Sherry Finn is the middle school director. Um, so yeah, we're we're settled in here. It's been 15 years. We thought we were just moving to Huntington for a a quick couple years, and then we were gonna. I don't even know what our thought was, but certainly not 15 years. We're in <laughs> the same house, and um, <clears throat> great community here. And and yeah, we're, so InSan is 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 building its first brick and mortar location, 2.4 acres, uh, full. It, we're just rethinking the family fitness center, so we'll have. Uh, we're basically trying to. I, I, I don't say this because people don't view themselves as wanting to be Olympic training athletes. It doesn't really resonate with them. But I'm basically trying to take my entire experience at the on the U.S. team and through the Olympics and try to make it accessible to everyday Joes and Janes um, because their journey is just as important. Uh, they have to perform as moms, dads, as you know, coworkers, business owners, and um, you know, it's. It's important, I think, to have a community where you're being invested in to help you perform at your very best in the places that you need and, and desire. So, uh, yeah, that's what we're doing. Great. Mm-hmm. Thank you so
0: much for just everything. I mean, those are some pretty detailed stories. And, you know, I lived the images in my head as you were telling them um, before we officially wrap up. Do you, um, you know. Where can people find more information about Insan or follow you on social media
2: and you know follow along, you know, all these journeys you have? Yeah, com. is pretty simple. Insan.com um is a place you can go and kind of see what we're doing. We have we have very, very aspirational goals to expand very quickly. We have a satellite version of of Insan, so we're, we would we're going to be looking for partners all over the US to launch these little mini satellite communities and then we want to come in with brick and mortar locations. Um and uh yeah, I'm just uh I'm just a, another fan of Team USA and uh excited to see how they do next summer. And uh even more excited about 2028. I can't even imagine um I'm surprised there hasn't been more buzz about that, but uh, it's going to be extremely exciting to have the entire world and the Olympic world descend right here in our backyard. Can't wait! Can't wait for LA. Got to get through Paris
0: first, though.
1: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Mm -hmm. One one games at a time.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right, Reed. Thank you again so much. We appreciate. We appreciate. Very good. All right. All the best. Thanks. Take Take care. Take care. Bye. I think that was probably one of our most detailed oriented interviews that we've ever had here, too. I mean, just the layers he added to every single experience. And what I really liked, too, was as he was talking about those experiences, I really like how, uh, you know, UBJ really brought up certain, you know, game or match or set situations, uh, you know, that the national team was dealing with that dealing with at a certain time. So I think that was a really, really great addition to that, too. But I mean, yeah, what a storyteller.
1: Well, oh, thanks, Clarence. Yeah, I could talk to Reed for hours. Um, it is really interesting for me to get to talk to players who've had a little distance from the game and can now look back on some of the things that I remember so well, mm-hmm. uh, like that. Semi-final match in the Olympics against Italy. That just how devastating that was, and then knowing how he was able to come back personally, and then help the team come back and win the bronze medal. That was um, just an amazing experience, and uh, yeah, a great interview for sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm I'm glad you brought
0: up the you know that I've had the distance from the game portion of it because you know from. You know, his introduction through high school and everything, um, he definitely has a healthy obsession uh, with the game, you know, through um, recovering from ACL surgery and, you know, still able to. Come back and compete at not only a higher level, but at a more, uh, you know, uh, advanced level of thinking level till that, you know, as his body's recovering or what was recovering through all that, you know, learning new ways to attack, had it utilized a block to his advantage and then applying all of that to his normal game, which is already insane um. Once he was fully recovered through things, and then you know, he, you guys heard heard him talk about in sand, and you know how he's continuing to stay involved in the development of the game. Um. Now it's just it's an amazing journey, and you know we wish him nothing but the best. And again, Reed, thank you so much again for taking the time to talk to us, man. It was really, really it was very insightful, and you know I'm really glad we got a chance to sit down and talk.
1: Absolutely. Um, Now, it's time for our upcoming events. The NTDP Indoor Boys Fall Training Series will happen September 15th through 17th in Colorado Springs. We have some beach tour events coming up. Um, The SSOVA September St. Pete Beach Regional Qualifier takes place September 10th in St. Pete Beach, Florida. That's a mouthful. (laughs) The NTDP Beach Accelerator takes place September 15th in Owings Mills, Maryland. Uh, USA Volleyball's Men's Beach Collegiate Challenge will be September 15th through 17th in Owings Mills. And uh, we're getting some good signups for that. So that should be really exciting. Um, The USA Volleyball Beach Tour in the North Texas region will be the Mm -hmm. Mad Sand Volleyball Tournament. It's a regional qualifier, September 17th in Plano. And another USA Volleyball Beach Tour event, Chesapeake Region, um, the Wave All National Qualifier takes place September 17th in Rehobo Beach, Delaware. Hope I pronounced that right. Good luck to everyone competing and shout out to all those USA v- v regions setting up and hosting the events. And you can find more details on USA Volleyball dot org. All right. Now onto the pro side of things.
0: First, we have the NorSeca Men's Continental Championship that is going on right now through September 10th. The U.S. Men's National Team are competing in Charleston, West Virginia at the Charleston Coliseum and Convention Center. For more information, tickets and streaming links, visit USAVolleyball.org. Beach Pro Tour futures Warsaw for Women in Poland uh, through September 7th through the 10th. Up next, we have the Beach Pro Tour Futures Brazil, September 7th through the 10th as well. The Men's Pan-American Cup Final Six in Canada from September 16th through the 25th. And lastly, we have the FIVB Women's Road to Paris Olympics Volleyball Qualifier in Wucz, Poland, September 16th through the 24th. Just kidding. This is our last one. Beach Pro Tours Futures in Halifax from September 21st through the 24th in Canada. Remember, listeners, you can rate, review, watch this podcast with your friends, share with your friends, families, and teammates. It really, 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 really helps this podcast grow and reach new avenues of listeners. And you can check out our video episodes on our website and YouTube. We thank you all for your continued support through this entire podcast existence. If you know of a club that should be featured or a story you'd like us to share, you can also email us at usavshow at usav.org. You can also leave us feedback there via email. And also just continue to let us know about any future topics that you want us to talk about. We do our best to cover it. Remember, new episodes drop every other week. And until then, thank you so much for listening to the USA Volleyball Show, the official podcast of USA Volleyball.
2: This has been the USA volleyball show with Clarence Hughes and Steven Munson, produced by Curtis Ward. Our content producer is Lara Fawcett. Our marketing lead is Bree J Cox. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to rate and review. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to the USA Volleyball show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.